Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Eddie from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the program where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. And we would love to hopefully answer those questions and talk with you and pray for you. Give us a call if you have a prayer request. We'd love to hear from you and pray for you. We have a great community of people who tune in every day to hear these prayer requests, to join in and say amen in agreement and to pray for you. So we'd love to hear for hear from you. And uh, again, if you've been reading through your Bible and you've come to maybe some passages that you've struggled with understanding or there's a question you've always wanted to ask, this is the show for you. We're so glad that you tuned in. Give us a call. The number is 303 Six nine zero three thousand. That's three zero three six nine zero three thousand. Or text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. That's seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. We want to welcome those of you listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. You're hearing this program live today. We also want to uh, welcome those of you who are listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those who are listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Welcome to the program. We're so glad that you're tuning in. We also want to remind you that those of you listening on Hope FM and Truth FM are hearing this program on a one-week delay. So just keep that in mind, but we would love for you to call in and then you'll get the opportunity to tune in a week later to the radio station and hear yourself on the radio. So you can tell your friends to tune in and all those good things. So just a heads up for those on the East Coast and in the area around Tennessee that you are hearing the show on a one-week delay. Those of you in Colorado and in the southern Wyoming on Grace FM, you're hearing the program live. And we also want to greet everyone who is listening online. Just a minute ago, the producer here sent me a screenshot of the um, listening range right now, people tuning in live right now. It looks like we have some people tuning in in Washington State. It uh, looks like Oregon, a couple in California, some in, um, looks like in Nebraska and the Midwest, Chicago, and, um, and some over on the East Coast as well. And we know that we have some listeners actually tuning in right now in Europe, including in Ukraine. So we want to greet you. European listeners as well. So glad that so many people are tuning in. Just a reminder that you can tune in to this show and all the other programs on Grace FM live and and anytime uh, through the web app or through the mobile app and the website. So we have a great mobile app, you know, for your phone or your tablet. You can just go ahead and go to your app store that you use for your device and just type in Grace FM as one word and it'll come right up and you can use that app you can download that's free put it on your device and then click listen live and anytime no matter where you are in the world you can tune in and listen to this show and everything else on grace fm live and you can also do that on the website so gracefm.com 
gracefm.com in your browser on your laptop, your desktop, and you can listen to Grace FM all day long wherever you are. So, so glad that so many people are taking advantage of the opportunity. I was just in New Jersey this past weekend uh, for something I'll tell you about in a little bit, but um, I talked to a lot, a lot of people who had uh, been familiar with Hope FM in the area around uh, Philadelphia, and just so cool, you know, them to hear them saying that they listen to Calvary Live, that they um, are part of this, you know, growing network of people who are benefiting from the show and calling in, and so it's so cool to see what God is doing with that. So a few words about myself. My name is Pastor Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And our church meets in downtown Longmont. If you're familiar with the city of Longmont, maybe you live nearby or within driving distance, or maybe you actually live here in town. We have several callers uh, usually who live right here in Longmont. But if you know Longmont, we meet right downtown. We are one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue. So just right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak Avenue and Kaufman Street. And we would love for you to come and worship with us sometime. Our church meets at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. The address is 700, 700 Longs Peak Avenue. We're right on the edge of Roosevelt Park, which is our city park here in Longmont. And it is just to the south of the downtown park and ride here in downtown Longmont. So we'd love for you to come worship with us. If you know people in this area, send them our way. We'd love for them to come and just grow in the in the knowledge of Jesus through his word. We love to study the Bible verse by verse. We have a excellent children's ministry and a great worship ministry. And God's doing some really great things, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. You can check us out online. Our church is found at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And you can also hear us on Grace FM every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So every weekday, Monday to Friday, 2.30 p.m., maybe that's the time when we know a lot of people are picking up kids from school. Um, maybe you're, you have a job where you drive. Make sure to tune in weekdays at 2.30 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. If for some reason you're not able to be in church on Sunday morning, you can always tune in to Grace FM and you can hear our services on broadcast on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000 to get on the air. Here at the beginning of the show is always one of the best times to call in because we tend to have uh, a lag or I don't know a, a wait while people are calling in those calls are rolling in people are tuning into the show so it's always really the best time if you want to get right on the air now it's one of those times we have all open lines so give us a call 303-690-3000 303-690-3000 or text us 720-336-0897 once again 720-336-0897 well, I mentioned that I was in New Jersey this past weekend, uh, and I was there for the Expositors Collective. So I've mentioned this a few times on the show. You probably heard me, Pastor Ed, talk about the Expositors Collective as well. Maybe Cody King, a few of us who are on the show are involved with that. And the Expositors Collective is, is kind of, um, it started out as an experiment. Um, my friend Pete Nelson out in Southern California had had this idea for a long time. Uh, to train up young people who felt called to preach. And it's like, he said, what if we just, not, not like a conference where you just go and listen to speakers talk about things, 
But what if it was like an interactive learning experience where even throughout the course of, let's say, two days, these people get like equipped, they get tools to know how to prepare a sermon and they get to hear from people who are really experienced on how, you know, what do they do in their process? What are some tools that they can use that will help them? You know, really the basics, what, what are the important elements? And then we give them the chance to prepare a sermon of their own and present it to a small group, right? Not the whole group, but a small group of people and then get critiqued on it, like constructive criticism and, and stuff that they can use to improve. And th that way, people who maybe they feel called by God to uh, move into like a teaching, preaching role in their church, uh, or they feel that that's a calling on their life, this is a way for them to explore that and see if that is indeed what God is has in store for their life. So we did our first event um, in 2018 in Thousand Oaks, California. And this last weekend in New Jersey, that was our fifth event that we've done total. We did one here in Colorado. We've done some. Uh, we did one in the southeast in Florida. We've done some on the west coast. And we, we uh, now went up to the northeast to New Jersey. And it's just a great weekend. You know, we were in Howell, New Jersey, not too far from the shore. And we had um, a lot of people come in from surrounding states, everywhere from, you know, Virginia up to Connecticut, and some people coming as far as from Alabama. And we were able to just pour into these young people and, um, you know, pray over them, teach them some skills. It was a really great thing. And this is an ongoing thing that we're going to continue doing. We we have already three more dates planned out for 2020 next year. And uh, that's probably all we're going to be able to do in a year. So maybe take a look at some of those dates. And maybe some of you listening are like, hey, this is the exact thing that I've needed, that I've been waiting for. Or maybe you say, hey, I know somebody who feels called to teach and preach. And this would be the exact kind of thing that would be like a good catalyst in their life to get them going, that God might use in their life to help them make that next step as they move forward and kind of stir up those gifts that they've been given. And so here's what you can do. Go to expositorscollective.com. That's expositorscollective.com. And you'll see on the website there um, the list of dates for our next events. And these are regional events. So our next one is in Las Vegas. We're going to have one in Seattle and one in Honolulu. And the idea behind these is that if you don't live in those cities, that's totally fine. You can fly in. We, we tend to be able to arrange, you know, some discounted accommodations so that people who are flying in from different places will have a, you know, affordable place to stay. And then you'll just spend two days, you know, studying, learning at the Expositors Collective, and it'll be really good. So expositorscollective.com. And then the other thing you should know about what we do with Expositors Collective is that we have a really great podcast. So if you're a podcast listener, you're definitely going to want to subscribe to the Expositors Collective podcast. It's a lot of interviews, you know, really practical stuff. The latest interview that's on there right now is in a discussion that I had with Cody King, who also hosts here on Calvary Live. And we were talking about bivocational ministry, like what it means, you know, not everybody out there who's teaching the Bible, maybe at a, a men's or women's Bible study, or maybe a kid's on Sunday morning, you know, you might not be full-time to have all the time to prepare a lot. So what does that look like when you know you have a full-time job and you have a teaching or preaching ministry? So Cody and I had a great discussion about that. It's been getting a ton of traffic on the internet. And so we'd love for you to check that out. 
You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts on the air today. We've still got all open lines and the number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. And the text line is 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. Let's go to our text line right now. And we'll take um, this text from Carol. Oh, no, it's someone named Lloyd in Aurora, Colorado, who says, please pray for Carol. She's in a lot of pain and in the ER after an operation on her eye the other day. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we pray for Carol. Thank you for Lloyd just lifting her up to you and making her needs known to you. We lift her up, Lord. We pray that you would be with her there in the the hospital. We pray that you would relieve her pain, Lord, and that... um, that truly her eye would be healed. And we pray that in Jesus' name. We ask that you would touch her and heal her. Lord, we pray more than just taking away her pain, Lord. We pray that you would be with her. We remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in the fiery furnace. And Lord, you didn't take them out of the furnace, but you were with them in the furnace. And so, Lord, I pray for Carol that you would be with her in the ER right now, that you would be with her in the pain, that you would be holding her and carrying her through this. Um, Lord, thank you that you you are not a crutch. Lord, you are the entire stretcher, and that is what we need. We need a stretcher. We need a hospital bed, and thank you, Lord, that you are everything we need in that way. You carry us through these difficult times. So I pray you'd be with Carol, and I do pray that you would heal her in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for your text, Lloyd, and we'd love to hear an update on Carol sometime when she's doing better. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next um, text question. We had somebody text this in. Uh, They said this. What is a good way to approach those who talk about the stories in the Bible that are just stories that happened before and are just being used again, the story of the flood, etc.? Okay, so I think I understand what you're asking. And if I don't, then please uh, write back or call in and clarify. So it seems to me that you are talking about one story in particular, which is the story of Uh, Gilgamesh, right? So what that means, maybe some people aren't familiar with this, but here's what it is, is that in several ancient, um, ancient cultures, they had stories very similar to the story of Noah and the flood, right? So there's this very famous story from Sumeria called the Epic of Gilgamesh. And Gilgamesh is a very interesting story in the sense that it also tells the story of a flood, a man that built a boat, and, you know, saves some people from a flood. And and some people have looked at that, and they've looked at the story of Noah, and they've said, well, Noah is just copying the story of Gilgamesh. And so they say, well, the, therefore, you know, the Bible isn't really true. It's just kind of like the Jewish version of these ancient myths or mythology that existed back at that time. And they're just being recycled and reused. In fact, there's a whole... Um, There's a whole take on this called Zeitgeist, which went popular on the internet a few years ago. 
and it basically was saying that the whole Bible is just a ripoff of, you know, Egyptian mythology, like Horus, right? And they'll, they'll list all these stats like, hey, you know, Horus had uh, 12 disciples and Jesus had 12 disciples, but Horus was first and Jesus came later. Therefore, uh, Jesus is just a ripoff of the Horus story. And now we know it because now we have more information readily available to us. And therefore, Christianity isn't true and the Bible isn't true. And therefore, um, you know, we shouldn't believe any of it because it's all just a, you know, ripoff of all these other stories, etc. I actually taught a message on this last year at our church about this. It's actually there's a name for this. This is called the Jesus myth. So two two different things going on here. So I'll try to keep that really succinct and make sure that we don't, you know, cross over here. But I think they kind of fall under the bigger category, which is, is the Bible just borrowing stories from other cultures and like appropriating them? And therefore the Bible is really just a book of mythology and not true history. Um, and then the other issue, you know, then we get into the issue of, okay, specifically the story of Noah and specifically the story of Jesus. Okay, so let me deal with each of those individually. And if any of you are interested in that message that I taught on this very subject, in which I go, of course, into more detail because I have 40 minutes, right, to go into detail and really refute a lot of these things, then text me here at the show and I will text you back a link to listen to that message. Okay, so the text line is 720336 0897 that's 7203360897 if you text me at that number I'll text you back a link to listen to that message in which I go into a lot more detail on this and um or if you'd like to call and talk about it the number to call is 303-690-3000 I'd love to talk about it too live as well but here here's my take on that okay first of all with Gilgamesh if there really was a flood then of course it, we would expect to see um, examples of in other cultures of people talking about floods. So if there was a flood and if this flood was worldwide, then don't you think that other cultures would also have this in their kind of cultural background knowledge, right? Their, their cultural stories. Now, of course, those stories would probably morph and change over time, kind of like the telephone game. Okay. And so, the question is, um, who has the original and the right story? And I would argue that, of course, because, you know, of course, we run this through what's called our hermeneutic, which is, means our lens through which we view history, through which we view the Bible, etc. Now, I would argue that the biblical story is the reliable one. And the reason for that is because I would say that it is not only uh, original and older, but it's also inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that somebody who doesn't uh, believe in the Bible is going to not agree with me on the inspired by the Holy Spirit part, but I think you, you can make a case that the story is actually older. And so what you have with Gilgamesh is a story that talks about this worldwide flood, um, which, of course, we are not surprised. We would expect to see that. In fact, that's a confirmation of the fact that there was indeed a worldwide flood, that other people are talking about it, not just the Bible. So that's good. Okay, so the other thing you need to know about Gilgamesh is that it has a very different um, purpose, right? So every story has a what's called a telos, right? A telos means a purpose for which the story is told. The, it has a direction that it's trying to take you in, right? So every story in the Bible, this is true as well. 
The stories in the Bible aren't there to tell you just straight raw history. The stories in the Bible are there because God wanted them there and he wanted them there in order to teach you something. Now, what he teaches you through every different story might be a little bit different depending on the story, right? But the way that the stories are outlined. And I'll tell you one of the reasons you can know that the Bible, especially the early chapters of Genesis, aren't just there to teach you history. Now, let me make sure I don't lose anybody here. I am, I do absolutely believe that they are historical. I'm not at all saying that they are not historical, but I am saying this, that they are historical and yet not everything that happened in history is recorded, right? So why are only some things recorded and other things not recorded? For example, Genesis chapter 5 covers 1,600 years of human history. And it says almost nothing about what anybody did. It says this guy was born, he died. This guy was born, he had a kid, he died. This guy was born, he had a kid, he died. This guy was born, he ate breakfast, he had a kid, he died. It doesn't tell us anything about them. It doesn't tell us what their hobbies were. It doesn't tell us if they had a corner office with a window. It doesn't tell us if they were even nice people. It just tells us that they lived, they had a name, they had a kid, the kid had a name, then they died. And then it tells us that in that... 1,600 years of human history that are essentially glossed over in the narrative that there was only one thing that God considered noteworthy and worth talking more about, and that was that there was one guy named Enoch who walked with God and went to heaven. And God says, that is what matters to me. In 1,600 years of human history, that is what stands out. That was what was glorious and good and noteworthy and the one thing that I want you to know about from this period of time. Now, why does it do that? Well, again, it has a reason, a telos. It has a, a trajectory that it's trying to get across to us. See, in the early chapters of Genesis, God creates the world. The world is good. Then human sin and rebellion comes, brings with it a curse of sin and death. And that curse of sin and death leads to death. And that death leads, okay, separation from God. We see that the people are moved east of Eden. And then we see that, um, you know, the one brother kills the other brother. So sin uh, isn't just located in that one action. Now it's in our hearts. And then what does sin do? It causes people to die. That is what happens. People begin to die. And so that's what we see in Genesis chapter 5. Now in Genesis chapter 6, that even though people are dying, there's still a growing population on earth and their hearts, it says the intentions of their hearts are nothing but wickedness all the time. And so the purpose of the flood story is to teach us a few really important lessons. One of those lessons is this, that sin does not dwell in bad people out there, right? In other words, let's put it this way. Some people have said, you know, if we could just get rid of all the bad people in the world, then it would solve all the problems. Guess what? That was tried at the beginning of the world. God said, hey, what if we keep, you know, and of course he did this not because he was curious. He did this in order to prove to us this point. What if the only people who, who stayed on the earth were the very best people in the world, the very most righteous and good people in the earth? We'll only let eight people live and, and then you know, we won't have any more problems with sin, right? Well, wrong, because guess what happened? Sin is not in culture. Sin is not in society. Sin is not somewhere out there. Sin dwells within the human heart, the individual human heart. And so Noah and his family get on that boat, and even though they're the most righteous people who live on the earth at the time, Noah then uh, 
What goes on the boat with Noah? Sin. Sin is within him and enters the boat with Noah. And so the whole story of Noah and the flood is really importantly telling us uh, a lot of things. You know, you have the whole thing about God's redemption, rebirth, you know, the, the new uh, plan that God is going to bring salvation. So all that to say, Noah and Gilgamesh have very different purposes in what they try to tell. Now, does that mean... Um, you know, that Noah's ripping off Gilgamesh, I would say just the opposite. I would say that Gilgamesh is a, a story of, of that tells the story of Noah's flood, and it is a mythology which seeks to, you know, teach some kind of point about the Sumerian gods. And, and so with Jesus and the whole, um, you know, Jesus myth, the idea that the stories of Jesus were taken from Egyptian mythology or things like that, these are just straight up not true. Like actual scholars who study Egyptian mythology, no one believes this. Um, and if you go through that movie Zeitgeist, you know what happens with that movie is that they just throw all this information at you with no citations. You know, pretty much like I could make a whole bunch of erroneous claims right now. And if you don't go and look at them, how are you going to know if they're true or not? And so people have looked into these things that were made in these claims and they have said, well, these things are obviously not true. And, you know, really interestingly, just an article came out yesterday um, about Richard Dawkins, who's a famous kind of what you might call an evangelical atheist, which means not only is he an atheist, but he wants you to be an atheist, too. He's not just OK with being an atheist. Right. So he's written a lot of books, his most famous one, The God Delusion. But he just wrote a new one. And he got ripped apart on social media by actual professors of um, Near Eastern or ancient Near Eastern uh, mythology and culture because he makes a bunch of claims along these same lines, like this question, which was, how do we deal with you know, people who say that the stories in the Bible are borrowed from other you know, mythologies? Richard Dawkins just got destroyed online because people were saying the things that he's claiming, you know, this stuff about Horus and the things about Gilgamesh are just blatantly not true. And there's some really great information out there that I would encourage you to look into before you go believing these kind of claims by Richard Dawkins or anybody else or Zeitgeist or whatever. And one of the great places to start, it's really comprehensive. I told you, if you text me, I'll send you a link to the sermon I taught on this topic about a year ago. Um, but there's also a really great online resource that you can use, that you can read up on, and it is called alwaysbeready.com. So alwaysbeready.com. And that is my friend Charlie Campbell. He has spoken at some churches here in Colorado before, um, Calvary Aurora and a few other places. Um, but Charlie's an old friend of mine. His daughters were actually the flower girls in my wedding. And um, Charlie has this great, it's like his life's work, is this website and this teaching ministry where he goes and he does what's called apologetics, which means defense of the faith and really answering these kind of hard questions in major detail. And so Charlie, on his website, alwaysbeready.com, he has a great article on Zeitgeist. So if you just scroll down, they're in alphabetical order, all the things that he has articles on. If you scroll down, uh, you'll find the one under Z, for Zeitgeist and just look at that and you know he's got so much information there that you know after you look through even half of it you're like okay I get it this this is ridiculous so hope that answers your question gives you some good resources to look into 
You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. I see tons of uh, text messages coming in, and so I know that you guys are out there. I would love to hear from you. We're going to go to our mid-show break, so do give us a call. We'll get you right on the air after the show. Number to call, 303-690-3000. Six nine zero three thousand, and we are going to our two-minute break just now. Hey, one topic of conversation that we could talk about after the break, if you're interested. Just this past Sunday, we studied at our church one of the most untaught passages in the entire Bible in churches. It is Second Thessalonians chapter two, which is, talks about the son of perdition, the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. So, if you're interested in more on that, give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call is 303-690-3000. It's 303 303- Six nine zero three thousand, or text us at seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. That's seven two zero three three six zero eight nine seven. We had a ton of text messages coming in today, but only one one call so far. And uh, the producer here just sent me a survey that says this: that seventy five percent of millennials would rather lose their ability to talk rather than their ability to text. And so, yeah, I, I know a lot of people my age and younger who are like, hey, don't ever call me on the phone. I only want to text. But hey, we would love to hear from you on the phone, and we do give priority to callers. So let's go to our first caller on line one from Denver. Hi, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Katie. It's an honor to talk to you. Oh, great to have you call in. Hey, I have a friend um, that I'm actually going to be seeing again soon. I haven't seen him for a while. We kind of, to give you some context, we grew up together. We we kind of went to the same church. We always, I guess, kind of had the same beliefs. We never really talked about beliefs too much, but it was kind of like, oh, we, you know, we believe the same thing. Up until I, I talked to him recently, and we've kind of been going separate ways, but he, he, kind, he acted like, and he, he didn't really make a lot of, like, firm statements, but he said, you know, I still believe in God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, but he kind of discredited and kind of tried to disown the Bible, like Mm. he didn't believe that the Bible was an inspired word by God, Mm -hmm. and I was kind of wondering how how would you handle Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So he believes in the Trinity, is that correct? He he made it sound like he did. He kind of kind of was like wishy-washy in areas how he talked about it but he made it sound like he did okay so he believes in the triune god and um yet he doesn't believe in um the bible meaning the inspiration of the bible or perhaps perhaps the inerrancy of the bible is that maybe more along the lines yeah 
Okay. So here's here's what I would say to that person. Um, you know, this is actually it, here's why it matters. Okay, because once you take away the authority of Scripture, you really don't have much. Um, it, it's kind of like washing out a foundation under a building. It might stand for a little while, but eventually it's going to kind of collapse. And um, here's what I would tell you. I'm you know, I'm doing my master's right now in a thing called integrated theology, which means that it's all about theological method. Now, let me just bring that down to earth for you. What that all that means is, um, you know, what is the method that people use in order to come to their theological beliefs? And everybody uses five sources. Okay. And how you use those five sources in relation to each other will very much affect the conclusions that you come to. So let's put it this way. Scripture is obviously a huge one, right? Like, how do we know things about God? Scripture. But there are others, tradition, reason, experience, community. These all play a role, but yet how much of a role should they play and how should they relate to each other? And here's what your friend's doing. If he's taking Scripture either out of the equation, but it doesn't sound like he's doing that. What it sounds like is he's putting it lower on the totem pole. So you think of it as a totem pole, right, with um, certain things in priority over each other. So as a Christian, as a Bible-believing Christian, I would say, and I think that most Christians, uh, I mean, I really hope that most Christians agree with this, is that Scripture needs to always be number one. Then after that, we bring in reason, right? Like how do we use our human reasoning to comprehend and understand things? And then we, where does tradition fit into that, right? Like, how should we understand things in light of how the early Christians understood them? And then uh, experience certainly plays a role in that, right? Um, and then then the community plays a role and, and all of these things. Okay, so once you start moving Scripture down the totem pole, guess what happens? Everything becomes super subjective, right? Usually reason ends up at the top, but not just reason. So nowadays we're seeing a big shift right now where a lot of people are um, questioning when it comes to sexuality. They're questioning beliefs that have been held by Christians for 2,000 years about what the Bible means when it says certain things. And the reason they're doing that is because they're taking Scripture out of that first place and they're moving it way down the totem pole and instead they're putting in this case, we would say community or society, right? In other words, what our society says is right and wrong and how things work. They're putting that at the top and letting that be the thing through which they view the Bible, right? Okay, all that to say, um, your friend, in my opinion, this is why this matters. Um, and here's what I would tell him. Why do we believe that the Bible is inspired? Well, there are several reasons. Uh, I'm going to start with the with this one. Because the Jewish people believed that the that the Old Testament was inspired, and Christianity came out of Judaism, it's the fulfillment of Judaism. And so, when Christians came along, they wholeheartedly adopted the Old Testament scriptures, and they understood them in the same ways that the Jews had understood the Old Testament scriptures. What, which is that they are the very word of God given to us through human instruments. And so we see that actually that is explained to us in the Bible by a Jewish Christian named Peter who says this, you know, uh, words of prophecy were never in, you know, initiated by people themselves, but they spoke as God gave them utterance. And he's, 
you know, that applies not just to words of prophecy, but specifically when he's saying that he's referring to prophecy in the sense of the prophets in the Old Testament and the scriptures that we have. Another one is, you know, Paul the Apostle, again, a Jewish person who is then a Christian. How did he understand how scripture works? Well, he says that all scriptures God breathed and useful for all of these things that he lists there in Second Timothy. And so that's one thing. We, we understand it that way because that is the way that the people of God have always understood the word of God. And they understood the New Testament to be that exact same way. And we know that because Peter refers to the writings of Paul as scripture. Paul quotes from the Gospel of Luke and calls it scripture. Right? Paul tells people to read his epistles and have them read in all the churches because he understood that his letters weren't just letters. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so the New Testament Christians, early Christians, first century, they understood that there was a New Testament canon, we say, right? New Testament being written, inspired by the Holy Spirit in their own lifetime, and they treated it as such. So we have that that's the historical background to why we should do it. Here's another aspect of why we should regard the scriptures as um, inspired by God. And, and of course, infallibility, by the way, comes from belief in the inspiration of God. The fact that God doesn't make mistakes, that he's able to inspire people correctly, and, um, and that he's able to preserve his word over time. Okay, so the other inspiration part is that the Bible is an incredible book, right? So it's, as you know, it's not just one book. It's 66 different books written over the course of 1,700 years by uh, 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages. And yet, it tells one cohesive story without contradiction. These people great majority of them never met. They never sat down at a table to make sure that they could get their story straight. Many of them never read each other's writings. And yet, they come together and they write these things which together present one cohesive story and one cohesive narrative. It's a, In other words, it's like as if all these different people were painting a picture and then we brought all those pictures together and the pictures together formed one big picture very obviously and very clearly, as if everybody was making completely separate from each other different pieces of the puzzle, and then they were brought together and created one big picture. So that is incredible. So we have that. Here's another reason why you can know that the Bible's true. In the book of Isaiah, God says, here's how you can know that my word is true. I'm going to predict the future, and then when it comes true, then you'll know that it's true. And, uh, and you'll know, you know, that, that I'm God. That's what he said. And the, the reason he said that is because the people were starting to follow like these pagan gods and idols. And he said, okay, here's how you'll know that I'm the true God and not the idols aren't the true God. He said, because I'm going to tell you the future through the prophet, right? Through a human instrument. And then when it comes true, you will know that I am the true God. And of course, the, so there you go. The Bible is so full of prophecy and so many fulfilled prophecies. And if you get into the statistics about those fulfilled prophecies, they're just mind-blowing and incredible. So, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier in the show that I had taught a message on this whole idea of the Jesus myth. Well, I also taught a message on how can you know that the Bible's true. And so if anybody okay. wants that, um, you know, text us at the show. We'll text you a link to that. 
Um, but the other thing you can do is there's a, that same website that I mentioned earlier, alwaysbeready.com. Charlie Campbell has some amazing resources and just stuff that you can browse through to know that the Bible is really true. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, so I, I hope that answers your question. But this is a really, um, really big topic, but a really important topic. And so I'm kind of glad that your friend is dealing with it. And um, But I hope that, you know, if he's really open to some answers, I, I hope he is, because those answers are readily available. And so hopefully you can just be the person who helps him find the answers and he will be convinced. Otherwise, I really do think that that is a very slippery slope. Once you start uh, throwing out the Bible and saying, hey, you know, the Bible's just, um, you know, some people's opinions back then, what, what you open yourself up to is this incredible subjectivity where it's like, hey, you know, whatever I think or feel or whatever society dictates is, you know, I'm going to change all my beliefs and opinions just what it, where, wherever the wind blows today. You know, and yeah, that's that's kind of what I was afraid of is I'm more hoping towards what you said where it's, you know, there's there's a lot of answers and I think I just need to kind of press him and, and see like what, what really do you believe? Are you really thinking about what you're saying and, and, and could we look at this together or is it, you know, he's kind of just, he wants to kind of follow society. Yeah, and that's that's really tough, right? Because a lot of people will say, hey, I'm not interested in your facts. I've already made up my mind. And that's yeah. that's really tough. I hope that's not the case with your friend. Um, and I hope that you guys can have this conversation. Do you? So definitely check out alwaysbeready.com, and he'll have an article there in the list about you know reasons you can believe the Bible. And that'll really give you something to start with. Okay. Could I Could I also ask you to pray for him? Absolutely. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother here on the on the line, and I thank you that he, he cares about this friend of his, and he understands why it matters that we believe that the Bible is true. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use him, that you give him wisdom as to how to approach this lovingly, that, Lord, let him be the one who speaks the truth in love. Um, and I pray that he would, by your Spirit's power working through him, that he would win over his friend, and that his friend would really come, as you say in your word, you desire for all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so that I pray that his friend would do that. And Lord, I pray that all of these evidences that are so readily available, Lord, that he would see them, that he'd embrace them, and that he would begin to turn to you as you've revealed yourself in your word, and that he would grow. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, awesome. God bless you. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or anything going on in your life. We'd love to talk with you and pray for you. Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We will go back to our text line right now. We have a text question that says this. Uh, God bless, Pastor. I had a question about my church, and I was wondering, is it a sin to know that there is sin occurring in the altar, as in the praise team, and the pastor and the leaders know about it and have no action towards it? It is a sexual sin. Uh, yeah, you know, I do think that that would be a sin. 
to know about something and refuse to take action, right? So there's something called a sin of omission. That's when you know the right thing to do, but you don't do it. James talks about this in his letter. And really, you know, if there's no, um, no standard that's being upheld by people who are in ministry and in leadership, uh, that's really detrimental to the church and not just to the church functioning, but to the witness of the people of God in the community. And so, um, but, but not just that, there's one more thing, you know, and that is that for these, uh, for this person who is involved in the sexual sin, whoever they are, this is detrimental for them, right? This is going to ruin their life. It's going to ruin their soul. It's going to ruin their relationship with God. It's going to be a constant hindrance. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to necessarily lose their salvation or, or that, you know, these kinds of things. But what I am saying is that it will absolutely wreck their life spiritually. It will be a shipwreck. And if you really care about somebody, you don't turn a blind eye to when they're doing something that is hurting them and hurting other people potentially. And so do we believe that sexual sin is a victimless crime? Not at all. It is absolutely not a victimless crime. It hurts the person involved in it. It hurts, you know, obviously more than one person involved in it. And it hurts everyone connected to them. And so uh, the loving thing to do is not to sweep things under the carpet or pretend that nothing's happening. The loving thing to do is to address it and address it directly. Now, here's my advice to you uh, who texted in as to what you should do. I think you need to talk to um, the leaders at your church. You know, Matthew 18 gives us a very clear way to deal with people. It says, if you've been offended, go to the offender. And then, um, you know, if they're not willing to listen, bring somebody else with you. And then if they're not going to listen either, then you bring it before the church. Okay, so I don't know if you, in this case, the question is, who is the one who is offending that you're taking issue with? Is it the person who's in sexual sin or is it the leadership of the church? Um, where it's, you know, obviously something's going on. Leadership of the church isn't doing anything. My opinion, you go to the leaders of the church and say, hey, I, I want to talk to you about this obviously you know about this thing that's going on i'm just curious what are you guys doing about it what's your approach what's your take fill me in because here's what i'll tell you just being a church leader there's so many times that assumptions are made maybe there are even failures in communication sometimes and um, assumptions are made and people assume that church leadership's doing this or that or that they're feeling a certain way when there's actually more information there which if you knew that, it might change the picture of how you view the whole situation. So that would be my advice for you, is go ahead and talk to the leaders of your church, ask them about it first before you jump to any conclusions, and then go from there. And then you're going to need to assess. If truly everything is as you perceive it to be, then you're going to have to ask some hard questions. You know, uh, Is this a place that you can, you can continue on? Furthermore, you know, what can you do to truly be loving towards this person or people who are involved in this sin that is hurting them and hurting other people in the community? So uh, let me pray for you, and then we'll let you go. Uh, Heavenly Father, I pray for this person who's texted in with this conundrum, and we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, give them wisdom with how to act. But Lord, let it be driven by love. Let it not be driven by any kind of vindictiveness, never by anything like gossip or, you know, being a busybody. But, Lord, I pray to truly be motivated by all the right things, true concern and care for people, 
and true concern for your reputation, Lord, amongst the unbelievers uh, in the community and, and truly your glory. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that uh, for my brother or sister here in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for the text message, and God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. That's 720-336-0897. We had another text question here asking uh, what I taught at this most recent Expositors Collective. Well, what I taught was I taught outlining, which doesn't sound like a very, you know, glorious, flashy, you know, topic. It sounds like, to me, that's like the broccoli of, uh, it's like the Brussels sprouts of topics that you get to talk about when it comes to preaching. Like, it's good for you. It's probably helpful but it's not flashy. It's not um, exciting. And that's how I felt. But I got to tell you, just the opposite has been the case. There has been so many people, there have been so many people who said this talk about outlining was just so helpful because um, it was practical. You know, you can have uh, so many theoretical things that are helpful. They help you get in the right mindset, ask the right questions, etc. But having something is so practical, a method for how to outline and write a message um, is so good. So, hey, if any of you are interested, just check out the Expositors Collective podcast. And like two weeks ago, this episode aired, which is a recording of the same exact talk that I gave uh, in San Diego at the last Expositors Collective. It just got up on the podcast. But that's the Expositors Collective podcast. And you can find it at expositorscollective.com or on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. So you can check that out. I also taught a message. So we do this thing at the Expositors Collective where um, we'll, we'll show what Christ-centered preaching is, right? So Christ-centered preaching is a way in which, and we, we believe that faithful, this is our kind of our catch statement. We say faithful Bible teaching consistently makes Jesus the hero or consistently shows Jesus to be the hero of every text. In other words, we believe the Bible isn't just a bunch of random stories. Some of them are about Jesus, some of them are not. No, we believe that based on what Jesus said, he said, don't you know that all the scriptures talk about me? He said in Luke chapter 24, you know, that he showed them, starting with Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, how all the scriptures pointed to him. And so, um, you know, how do we do that? How do we reflect that, whether we're teaching a Sunday school class? How do we do that, whether we're teaching a home group? Uh, how do we do that if we're teaching a larger group of people. Well, so we teach people to do that. So one of the things we do is we'll have two guys stand up and give a sermon on the same topic. And the one guy will do what we sometimes jokingly call read and ramble, which is read a couple verses, ramble about some things that are probably true and probably good, but very much disconnected from each other. In other words, just kind of a running commentary on the text versus a person who gets up there and preaches that text in a way that not only does justice to the text, but ultimately shows how that text finds fulfillment in Jesus. And so that was what I got. I got the privilege of, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, T-ball and hitting a home run because it was teed up for me to, to just, I got a great text, David and Goliath, and showed how, uh, you know, in the story of David and Goliath, so many people read it as, I'm David and God can help me defeat the great giants in my life. Whereas a, you know, 
Christ-centered approach to that text would say this, I'm not David. You know who I am. I'm the scared Israelite standing on the sidelines, unable to take on this giant who is absolutely going to kill me, right? And that giant maybe is the one that represents sin, death, and the devil. And what I need is the son of David, the greater than David, who comes and fights on my behalf. And he, um, he fights on my behalf and he destroys the enemies that I could never destroy. And because of his victory, even though I didn't do anything, I stood on the sideline, uh, because of his victory, we all get the victory, right? So that's like what Romans 5 talks about, how by the sin of one man, that's Adam, we all became sinners. But by the obedience of one man, that's Jesus, we all became righteous, which is the great message of the gospel. And so it, anyway, it was so much fun. Uh, I'd really, really recommend for you guys to check out the Expositors Collective podcast and the events that we do. It's all really good stuff, expositorscollective.com. We'll go to one last text message. We've had so many text messages, most of them related to uh, getting links to the sermon about the um, Christ myth, but we did get one text message that I want to address here, and it says this. Um, one person says this. Hi, I have trouble with the Song of Solomon. Um, it is often used for looking at marital intimacy, but I'm always thinking, which wife is Solomon talking about? He had so many. And it seems as if they all had, you know, having all these wives was just a way of committing adultery legally. So then I don't understand why people use these verses to look at the loveliness of marriage. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about that. Why, how should we understand the Song of Solomon? Um, I think that's really interesting. You know, the Song of Solomon is important theologically because as you say, um, it extols or, you know, uplifts the idea of marital intimacy, which shows that romantic love is for the purpose of enjoyment and binding spouses together, not only for having children. And that stands in contrast to how many, you know, ancient and modern uh, cultures viewed sexuality as, um, you know, as something unclean or something that was a, you know, necessary, but, um, you know, to be avoided or not to be thought of positively. But the Bible portrays it very positively, especially in the Song of Solomon. Now, here, here's a few things we know about Solomon, okay? So according to the, the first verse of the Song of Solomon, this is a song written by Solomon. And that would make it, it says in 1 Kings, that he wrote 1,005 songs. So this would be one of his 1,005 songs, but it says there, the title Song of Songs means that it's superlative. I mean, in other words, it's the best of all of the songs that he wrote. He wrote a thousand and five, and this is the very best of them, and it gets its own book. So it's assumed, you know, this is written early in Solomon's reign because it's mentioned that he wrote all these songs early in his reign. Um, and it's a poem, and in the poem, the main character is called the Shulamite Woman, the Shulamite Woman. And she's a Shulamite. You know what Shulamite is? Like people are like, what's a Shulamite? It's, it's really simple. Shulamite literally means from Jerusalem, right? Because Yerushalem, Shalomite, right? She's, a, she's from Jerusalem. She's from Jerusalem. So um, this is important because Solomon's first marriage that we're told about in 1 Kings chapter 3 was his marriage to the daughter of Pharaoh, and he brought her to his palace in Jerusalem. So the big question is this. Who is this Shulamite woman? And several uh, suggestions have been made. Okay, the first suggestion is that that 
woman that he married, this Egyptian woman, he brought her to Jerusalem and she became a Shulamite. In other words, she was from Egypt, but she became a woman of Jerusalem. And he's singing this to his very first wife. Uh, there's another theory that says that actually um, this is referring to a marriage that Solomon had before he married the woman of e Egypt, the Egyptian princess, and that his first marriage is just not told to us in the Bible. And so it says, well, he had a marriage, and then his marriage to the Egyptian was kind of more of a political thing and uh, that kind of thing. There are really uh, four main ways to interpret this book. Okay, there's number one, there's what's called the allegorical interpretation, which means that this that we should view it as a picture of the love between God and his people, and then in the New Testament terms, between Christ and his bride, you know, either the church or the individual Christian. Now, this view is very common in the Middle Ages, but its weakness is that it kind of runs the risk of, you know, diminishing the book's endorsement of marital intimacy. In other words, it's saying that, you know, love between you and Jesus is good, but it then takes away from the idea that this book is about encouraging married couples to have uh, marital intimacy. Okay, so then you have another view, which is which is very popular. It's called the anthology interpretation, which means that this is a collection of poems, which isn't about just one woman, but it's about, um, it's, it's just, you know, a beautiful set of poems kind of put together. It's the collection of all his best lines. And so personally, I take it as it's really about a woman who is from Jerusalem. My view is that that woman was his first wife who he brought to Jerusalem from Egypt and she became a Shulamite woman. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, you've been listening to Calvary Live. Thanks for tuning in today. God bless you. I'll be with you again next Monday and uh, have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.